in the 38 years since, the United States has won four World Cup titles and four Olympic gold medals, making it one of the most successful national teams for the Americans. Those premier teams get a lot of love, but the 85ers, as they're known, have not. It wanted to be the world governing body of the sport, and yet it didn't want to recognize women's football. This has been a long, long journey, a story with many, many chapters. And it goes back long before this last year, long before 1999. And so I think the only place to start is by recognizing the very first U.S. Women's National Team in 1985. Welcome to a new series of Flame Bears, special edition U.S. Women's Soccer Originals celebrating the first U.S. women's national soccer team. I'm your host, Jamie, and I am beyond excited to be co-hosting this season with FIFA Player of the Century, Michelle Akers. Hey, team! In this series, we'll hear from the infamous 85ers. They blazed a trail at a time when women's soccer wasn't an Olympic sport, and the Women's World Cup didn't even exist. We get to celebrate these badass originals who I am so proud to call myself a teammate of. These icons you don't know yet, but we're changing that. They're players who came from all over the country, some on scholarships, others playing different college sports because women's soccer didn't even exist at the time. Setting the foundation for what is now the biggest event in women's soccer this summer. Their stories have never been told until now. Now let's kick it off to today's episode. Cindy Gordon is a founding member of the original 85ers. She played left wing and forward and made six appearances on the world stage. Her story is one of triumph and heartbreak. Here she is. My name is Cindy Gordon, and I played on the U.S. national team in 1985, the very first U.S. women's national team, and went back in 1986. Yeah, then after that, I had to get a job. When I started playing soccer, I mean, it was all Title IX. I was nine years old, and I have three younger brothers, but two younger brothers that are right below me, like one and two years younger, they had been playing soccer, you know, like what, seven and eight years old. And I remember going to their games and watching them and they didn't have girls soccer. Then I was dying to play. I love doing sports. And I remember standing on the sidelines and uh, thinking, oh, well maybe somebody will get hurt and they won't have enough players. And the coach will look over and say, you, Girl, you look like you could play. Do you want to join? Which, you know, never happened. And I asked my mom if I could play with them. And she said, no, it was just boys. The girls couldn't play. So when Title IX came, I was in fourth grade. And they started girls soccer. It was the Highline Soccer Club in Des Moines and Beer in South Seattle. I joined the Des Moines Demons, which they probably can't have named like demons anymore. And we lost every single game but one that first year, but I just kept going back. It was just like such a good fit for me. And then, then my brothers stopped playing, but I kept going. And when I got to going to college, at that time there was 
I think North Carolina was the only one that was offering scholarships. And Western Washington University in Bellingham was the only public four-year college in Washington State that was offering a varsity women's program. I think UPS and PLU, which are both private, had varsity soccer, but at, you know I couldn't afford to go there, so that's why I looked at Western. Was Dave, Dave Brown the coach? Was that? No, Dominic Arjul. He was this Italian guy. The, he, he wasn't very good. Like our very first tryouts, he wanted to see who could pick the ball the furthest. Did you have someone you modeled your game after? Eighth grade, ninth grade, uh, this woman named Cindy Breed, who was playing, um, she was a couple years older than me, and she was a phenomenal athlete. And I would watch her play soccer. She was amazing at dribbling. She could juggle forever. Uh, she was. She got letters in basketball, track, volleyball, all those things. They didn't have uh, soccer when I was in high school as one of the sports. But she was somebody I admire. In fact, it was because of hers that I would practice juggling over and over and over again. It's like, I think mm. it's her. And yeah. then when I got older, um, like Jan's music and Sherry McMurtry was another amazing Yeah. She was on the first half. She was my... She's all of that. in I, Vegas now. I haven't really... She used to be on Facebook and I think I messaged her a couple times, but I haven't heard from her in a long time. Cindy, so connect the dots for us. How did you go from there to the national team? We went to the sports fest, and then Mike Ryan picked the team for the national team. And I actually wasn't picked the first when he picked the team. They had put Sandy Gordon on the roster, and she didn't go to the sports fest. And then, I don't know, she couldn't go or something. I got put on after she couldn't go. So I went from like this huge, huge disappointment to really super excited. That kind of emotional resiliency had been a saving grace for Cindy throughout her career, who endured something nobody ever should. Cindy, I know you've shared about a horrible event with your former coach. If you feel comfortable, would you be able to share share that with us? I mean, of course it's uncomfortable, But I feel it's really important to share because I I think that's another epidemic is uh, sexual abuse um, of the female athletes. Michelle, I was telling Jamie um, the two of the stories that I had read. One of them is Amy Carnell. I don't know if you remember her, but she's from here. Yes, I talked to her. She had a story on Facebook and just because the soccer community is so small, I saw it and I contacted her. Either I contacted her or I contacted Shelly because I, I think Shelly was the one that posted it. Um, Shelly Saparovich is Michelle's uh, stepsister. So uh, Shelly got me and Amy together and we talked about it. But just her courage and um, but she, again, had the same story. Uh, young players in their early teens who had been groomed and then abused by their soccer coaches. And I just, I kept that story a secret for so long because there's a lot of shame around it. When you're that age and being groomed, it feels like you are actually making choices that you would have made as an adult. But, you know, at at that age, you can't 
you can't give consent because the difference in the experience and the age is that you just can't give consent even though you feel like you did. So it's uncomfortable, but I feel like it's really important that people know that this is an epidemic. Just like recently in the U.S. soccer, uh, Cindy Parlow, didn't she do come out with... Absolutely. Yeah, well... Yeah, NWSL and had um, players come forward saying they were sexually abused by their coaches and uh, a lot of lots of misconduct in the NWSL, but also uh, in in women's soccer, um, predominantly you know everywhere at every age. And so they did uh, a follow up on um, on the teams or the coaches organizations with these experiences and then the Yates report came out uh, citing it was a huge problem so that changed it's changing it's starting to change there's there's still so uh, there's so much work to do as far as standards and ethics and code of conducts and uh, how, how to protect players how to protect coaches and female staff in those organizations because it's not just about players so um you talking about this is super important you're so right and then all these women coming forward just so courageous and i yeah don't think of myself as being um courageous but their stories made me feel better about myself and i thought well if i can tell my story and somebody else can see that and say oh yeah that happened to me and I don't have to keep it a secret either then even if it's one person then it's worth it to do it and I think it's been helpful for me to tell it too just because there's so much there was so much shame associated with keeping it a secret and <laughs> um, that's I think that's the biggest problem um, along with the other trauma yeah so yeah that it, it, it does matter to speak up because, and it does give courage to other people. Um, and uh, yeah, there's something about that um, keeping it hidden thing that is poisonous, right? To the person that that it happens to, and um, so it's important to to, to t- tell the truth and get the support out. Yeah. Right. Um, that, that, that to me changes everything. And I, I've, I, you know, I've had many coaches inappropriate. Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, all, all at all levels. And it, and, and few that were operating on a professional, in a professional manner consistently. So, um, totally, uh, helpful to have people like you speak up and uh, empower the ones that these these women these girls going through these experiences to yeah do whatever they need to right yeah it's so important i thank you for talking about it and coming out with it i had gosh cindy i had no idea so um seeing that i i was like wow you are you're a badass very courageous thank you Given the role that Amy played in Cindy's life, we reached out to Amy for her perspective. My name is Amy Cornell, and I met Cindy very randomly after I 
disclose publicly about my story of being sexually abused by my youth soccer coach. Cindy had kind of randomly reached out, I think via social media, and I had happened to see her message that day. And she was like, hey, I was a part of the 85 national team. And so that got my attention. And so we actually connected that night on the phone and ended up having like a 40 minute conversation. And I think things just kind of evolved from there. Amy, can you tell us about your relationship with Cindy and how you've gotten to know each other? I think like I've I've personally taken a lot of time to do therapy and really uh, like mentally prepare myself for for what it means to disclose and the reasons why I felt like that was so important to do. And really, that was about helping raise awareness about this prevalent issue in both youth and professional sports. And so I think with Cindy, when we first connected on the phone, I could hear in her voice and in her story that she was in the earlier stages of, you know, just saying, hey, like me too. So she reached out, was like me too. And so for me, I just wanted to help guide her through that process because I knew firsthand how difficult it is and and was and uh, help her maybe like speed up some of those early steps because when I did it I was mostly alone so I didn't want her to also be alone. Someone else who's been by Cindy's side through it all is her sister Valerie. Well I'm Valerie Constantino and Cindy is my sister. She uh, came to me on my first birthday, actually, the day after my first birthday, I got a sister for my birthday. So as an adult, I mean, Cindy and I were always close when we were kids. We shared a bedroom. We're two girls out of a family of two girls and five or three boys, five altogether. And uh, so we were close, but completely opposites. I'm the girly girl. She's the tomboy. So we would have never been friends in high school, but we are just like best friends friends and even now we try to spend vacations together Uh, we probably text every other day or so Valerie so Cindy mentioned your family is big into soccer did you play too so I loved dance I was girly girl and and Cindy I I believe she really wanted to do something I couldn't play soccer so she was in dance as well and she was not a good dancer and um (laughs) I was going to show some funny pictures, but they are kind of embarrassing for her. So I didn't want to do that. Where I'm in a tutu and I look as cute as can be. And her tutu is all just like janked up. And so um, really, it was fourth grade. She, I'm sure she told you standing on the sidelines watching my brothers play. And then finally girls were able to play and, you know, begging my mother to please, can I stop dancing? I want to play soccer. So, yeah, everybody played soccer in the family except for me. What should people know about your sister? Oh, my goodness. So I've been thinking about this question for a while, and it's, you know, taken me down memory lane a lot. Um, I think uh, the thing about Cindy is that she has just always been an overachiever. You know, when she wants something, she's like a bulldog, and she always, she does her best, not because she's expected to do her best but she does her best because she wants to do her best she wants to be the best 
at whatever it is that she's doing. There's an example of uh, when we were in school, she's a year younger than me, and I was in first grade and learning how to read. Back in the 60s, you know, kindergarten was just, um, you make little projects and take a nap. It, they weren't learning how to read in kindergarten. And Cindy wanted to learn how to read, and um, apparently she started to teach herself how to read. And towards the end of the school year, um, there was a discussion with my parents about moving Cindy, skipping first grade and going into second grade with me. And um, and I didn't know this till I, till I was an adult. And I think Cindy probably told me this too. Um, just they decided not to do that for you know fear of what it would do to me. So, but average reader, she would get in trouble for you know reading underneath the covers at night in bed and. So. <laughs> We'd be remiss to tell Cindy's story and not bring up her love of dogs. When did you, I got to bring up your, your dogs. When did you, have you always had animals uh, in your household? Uh, no, my first dog was an accident. Um, I was out going to a friend's place on the Caldwell Indian Reservation and she ran across the road. It was this primitive road. And so I picked her up. It was, she was a red healer. Oh, this is her. Oh, Brett Healer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. Yes, also Yes, Rosie. dog Red Healer. Um, and so I had a boyfriend at the time, so we kind of shared her because I lived in an apartment. And then we ended up breaking up. So I had this dog in an apartment. I was like, okay, I guess I'll buy a house because Rosie needs a yard. So I ended up <laughs> buying a house. I'm in Shoreline now, Michelle. I'm actually up in the city. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, really close to Shorecrest. We go walking there a lot. Um, yeah, so then after I lost Rosie, of course, then my house is really empty, so I ended up getting Elsa. Um, but yeah, but you're in into the herding, like the sport uh, with your your dogs. It's so to me that's so amazing and puts you in a different category than just you know lo love having dogs like the dog owner hanging around their free lunches every day so but yours are working dog <laughs> and and skilled and you that's amazing to me you guys do that together well i feel bad for them because they don't have any outlet and honestly not that good of yeah. a dog warmer i don't think it's just like i look at them and i go oh well you need something to do you need friends so with rosie i never did i trained her at herding and she wasn't that good we did agility and we did nose work and then when I got Elsa, I was like, okay, we'll try herding again. So I'm doing herding and then this NASDA thing with her. But yeah. Yeah, but you're, I mean, you're underselling yourself. You, I you had a picture of a million blue ribbons and things around your dog. So obviously you're doing a great job. Uh, I so I, that's amazing. Yeah, it's very, very cool. It's doing cool. My... My Australian Shepherd, this was my try at the herding. We went into this pen and um, the lady brought in, like all these sheep ran in and my Australian Shepherd, Buck, ran over to me and uh, did like <laughs> a dive on, on his back onto my feet and with belly up and laid there. Like he didn't, he was like, hell no, this is nothing I want. 
So, so what is the future you would like to see for not only women's soccer, Cindy, but also just women's sports more broadly, given your experience and what you've gone through? What is the world you'd like to see? Oh, I would, in my unicorn and rainbow world, I would love to see uh, women's sports being given equal finances and uh, media support as the men's sports because... I mean, I love watching. I know a lot of girls and other women that love watching women's sports. And uh, sometimes you really have to search for it, you know, on TV, get it streaming or find it on YouTube or something. It'd be great to have more equality for women's sports. Thanks for tuning in and massive thank you to my amazing co-host, Michelle Akers. If you'd like to send in a letter or video of support and appreciation to Cindy, please do so by reaching out to Marissa P at flamebearers.com. That's Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A, P as in Potter at flamebearers.com. Thanks, and we'll catch you on our next episode.